Father, we just come to you today, and as we open your word, we just ask for you to, to teach us the lessons that you would have us to learn from this very last chapter of Genesis. Lord, as we, as we see uh, the, what the brothers, uh, the way they react to, to Jacob's death and their fear, Lord, and, and how they don't trust their brother, there's, there's lessons there for us, Lord, because we know that your perfect love cast out fear. And, and Lord, that we can trust you no matter how bad things seem to get in our lives, though, no, no matter how bad things seem to get in this world, Lord, that we can truly trust you. And love and trust go together, Lord. If we don't, don't trust you, we don't love you. And if we don't love you, we don't trust you. So, Lord, just teach us those lessons today as we, as we watch the reaction of uh, these brothers to, to Jacob's uh, burial and, and uh, uh, to, to their situation in their life. So just help us to learn those lessons and help us to learn them by the power of your spirit. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. All right. Uh, we, and when we left off last time, Jacob had passed. In the very last verse of chapter number 49, let's pick up there. And it says, and when, when Jacob had, had finished commanding his sons, uh, and when he had finished giving them that pro- great prophetic blessing about their future, when he had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up to his bed, and he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Now, that's interesting there. Look at that last phrase right there. He, he doesn't say he was dead and he was in the grave. It says he was gathered unto his people. Who were his people? Well, his wife Rachel, his wife Leah, they had already passed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Adam, and Noah, and all of those people. That's who he was gathered to. When we get to the book of Exodus, we're going to see when Moses sees the Lord, the Lord's going to, uh, Moses is going to ask the Lord, tell us your name and tell me your name so I can tell the people your name. And he says, I am who I am. And then he'll say, I am the God of Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was, not I will be. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus uh, quotes that later on in the Gospels when he says that, that God, the Lord is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so, so Jacob, his body's dead. And from the son's viewpoint, his body was dead. But Jacob had been gathered uh, to his people. So then we pick up now. We come to chapter number 50. And, and uh, we're going to see this great funeral procession that takes place uh, in chapter 50, number one, it says, Then Joseph fell on his father's face, and he wept over him, and he kissed him. Now, Joseph had a very special relationship with his father. And he had been robbed of 15 years of that relationship because of what his brothers had done to him. But what his brothers had done to him that was evil, God had worked out good. And so God had restored those 15 years, plus a couple of years to boot but, but still, he's dead now, and, and Jacob has this special relationship, or he had this, I mean, Joseph had this special relationship with his father, Jacob, and, and so he just, it's just more than he can take. And so he falls on his father's face, and he weeps. Now, I'm sure the other brothers wept too, but I don't think they experienced the deep mourning that Joseph experienced because they didn't have that special relationship with their father. And then it says in verse number 2, And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, 
so that the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were required for, for the embalming. So, so that was a very long period. But now the, the Egyptians were, uh, were experts in the field of embalming. In fact, we've tried, the modern science has tried to emulate what they've done in the past because the bodies that they've, uh, the bodies that they've embalmed have lasted for thousands of years. And so, I mean, I, could, I don't care if my body lasts for thousands of years, but some people do. Uh, my new body is what I'm looking for, not that old body. But, but uh, they, they, were, they knew what they were doing when it came to this embalming. Sometimes we think of these ancient societies as being very backward societies, but actually they were more advanced than we were in certain areas. The society that, uh, in the days of Noah was probably just as advanced as the society that we lived in. This Egyptian uh, empire was very advanced, and so uh, they, they were definitely advanced in their embalming. And so it, takes 40, it took 40 days, but they embalmed Jacob, and uh, then it says, uh, 40 days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. Now, then... Not only that, did they spend the 40 days embalming him? It says that, uh, and the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Now, that was an honor given only to the Pharaohs, but it was given also to Jacob. Now, here was old Jacob. I mean, he was a likable guy, obviously, and he was the patriarch of Israel. And, and a lot of people, I think, had heard about Jacob, and a lot of people had met Jacob. And, and he was that kind of guy, when you met him, you liked him, and, and, and he became uh, close to you. And so, so he was endeared by the Egyptians, and so they mourned for him for 70 days. Then verse number four. Now, when the days of the mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of favor. Now, now here's what's happening at this point. I, I'm sure Joseph had gone to Pharaoh, and he had said, look, my father wants to be buried in Israel. And me and my brothers want to take him back, and we want to bury him in Israel, in the promised land. And I think Pharaoh said, no, I can't let you do that. You're too important of a man to be gone that long. Uh, and besides, that's your homeland, and I don't want you going there and, and, and uh, not coming back. And really, more than likely, Joseph, even though he was second in command over all of Egypt, he was really Pharaoh's slave, because remember, he was Potiphar's slave. And then when he came out of prison, he became like Pharaoh's slave, even though he was in that high position. So he didn't want him leaving. He wanted him to stay with him. And uh, so he told him no. And so Joseph goes and he talks to the people of the household of Pharaoh. And this is what he says. He says, now when the days of the morning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying. Now he talked to some people who were really close to Pharaoh. He says, you've got to convince him that I, I'm going to come back. You've got to convince him that I need to go honor my father's request and bury him in the promised land. Now, it, he might have been talking to, to uh, Potiphar. He might have been talking to Pharaoh's wife. But he was talking to some really important people or, or some of Pharaoh's wives and, and certainly some of his family. And he says, my father made me swear, verse number five, uh, saying, behold, I am dying in my grave. Which I dug for, behold, I am dying in my grave, which I have dug myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. And listen to what he says. The last sentence right here. He says, I will come back. Now, he makes that promise. 
And I think he's sincere in that promise. Actually, I don't think the, cross, the thought of not coming back had even crossed Joseph's mind. I mean, I don't, I don't think, he, I don't think he, he had any desire to stay in the land of Israel. He was the second most important man in all of Egypt. For, in all, for all practical purposes, he was the most important man in all of Egypt. He led that uh, empire and he saved all of those Egyptian people. And so he was endeared to the hearts of the Egyptian people. And, and all, if he went back to Israel, nobody there would even know him. And so, so uh, uh, he's, he doesn't have any thought of not coming back. And, the, and his brothers were going to come back because, hey, they were making bank in Goshen in the most fertile land on earth. And why would they go back to that wilderness of Israel when they're living in Goshen and they're, they're in charge of all of Pharaoh's herds and they're making all of this money. And so, so uh, Pharaoh says, Pharaoh, this Pharaoh, different from the Pharaoh in Exodus, is going to let them go. So we, we come to verse number six and it says, and Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father uh, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father and with him, look who goes with him. Look at this entourage that goes with Joseph. It says, with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, all the servants of Pharaoh's house, all the elders of Pharaoh's house, that's all the statesmen of Pharaoh's house. Uh, Pharaoh didn't go, but everybody else went, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And so every important person in Israel went with, they knew Jacob, and they loved Jacob, and so they went with Joseph uh, for, on uh, this funeral procession all the way into the promised land, which was a couple hundred miles away. Then in verse number eight, it says, as well as all the house of Joseph and his brothers and his father's house, the only people that were left behind were their little ones. And they weren't left behind because Pharaoh was holding them back to make sure they came back. That wasn't the reason. It was a dangerous journey and they didn't want to take them on that journey. Plus they were, some of them were old enough to take care of the herds. And so, so they only, only their little ones and their probably their servants, their flocks, and their herds, they left behind in the land of Goshen. And then it says in verse number 9, and there, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen and a very great gathering. So you've got maybe the greatest funeral possession the, the world has ever seen. You've got all the statesmen of, of, of Egypt. You've got all the family of Israel. Uh, you've got chariots, so you, you've got horsemen, and so the army goes, part of the army goes up there too. Now, if you're up in Canaan and you're watching this procession, what do you think's happening? You probably think there's an invasion about to take place. And so they've got scouts that are watching the, Is, the Israelites and these Egyptians as they come into the, the land of Canaan, and so, so they're watching them very closely, and we'll see what happens next. In verse number 10, it says, Then they came to the threshing floor, of a Todd, uh, that's on the east side of the Jordan, which is, it says, which is beyond the Jordan. And they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation, a very serious lamentation. They were serious about, this wasn't just a, a, a funeral for show, uh, like some funerals you might watch on TV for some statesman in the United States. These people were sincerely, they sincerely loved Jacob and they sincerely mourned him. And he observed, and then Joseph had them observe seven days of mourning here on the east side of the Jordan before they went into burying for his father. And so here are the, the inhabitants of Canaan, and they're watching this, and all of a sudden they realize that, hey, this is not a war party. 
this is a funeral procession. And so, verse number 11. And when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites uh, saw the mourning of the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, or the mourning place of the Egyptians, the place where they mourned. And it was to that, to this, to the day Moses, it was named that till the day Moses wrote this. Then in verse number 12, it says, so the sons did for him just as he had commanded them. They crossed the, over the Jordan uh, for his sons carried him into the land of Canaan. They crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan and they buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah where Abraham was buried and Sarah was buried and Isaac was buried and, and Leah was buried. Remember, Rachel was buried in Bethlehem, but, but all of the rest of these great patriarchs were buried there at Machpelah. Uh, and then before Mamre, which Abraham, this is at Shechem, uh, this is modern-day Nablus uh, in, in Israel, so, so it's in, it was near Shechem, this cave. Before Mamre, which Abraham bought the, with the field from Ephraim the Hittite uh, as property, for a burial place. So here you got this funeral, and it's lasted a long time. I mean, it's 40 days of embalming J- Jacob, uh, and that might, part of that might have uh, ran uh, at the same time. They were, they were honoring Jacob for 70 days, but, but it, at least 70 days has taken place as, as the nation of I- Egypt has, has, has mourned for, for uh, Jacob. And then they take this long journey of 200 miles, and that takes several weeks. And then they spend seven days on the east side of the uh, Jordan, and then they cross the Jordan, and they have their gravesite service over at Machpelah, and then they head back over across the Jordan and then down to Egypt. So this thing has taken a really, really uh, long time. And so... Uh, verse number 14, and after he had bur- after Joseph had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury uh, his father. Now, as they crossed over that Jordan and they looked back to that promised land, that was the last time more than likely they ever laid eyes on that promised land Again, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was given a prophecy by the Lord. The Lord told him that that, uh, Israel would go down to Egypt and they would be there a while and then they would be afflicted for 400 years. So it's going to be over 400 years before the nation of Israel comes back into the land. That's That's a very long time. And so... So uh, uh, when they saw it this time, it was the the last time they were going to see it in their lifetime. And so they make the journey back. And several weeks, it takes several weeks for them to make that 200-mile journey with that large procession of of people. And they make that journey. and, 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 And you stop and think about this. This has taken a long, long time. Several months now, they've been through this process of burying Jacob and mourning for Jacob. And, and these brothers were together, 
Joseph was with them, and you would think that they had gotten really, really close again, that they, they, they really, you know, had reminisced about the times they had with their father, and, and uh, I, I, don't, I, I know when I go to a funeral and there's family at the funeral, there's a lot of reminiscing that goes on, and, I'm, and, and you seem to get, you know, sometimes you, it seems families get further apart at funerals, but a lot of times they get really close together. The funeral helps bring them back together. Uh, and, and with this common cause of this death of a loved one. And so, so you would think now that they were really close to each other. Joseph and his brothers were really close to each other, but that's not what happens. Uh, look what happens next. Next, It says in verse number 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Now, how would Joseph repay them? Not with money, but with revenge, with, with violence. He would more than likely kill them. That's what they're thinking at this point. So they sent messengers to Joseph. Now, the fact they sent messengers tells me that more than likely they went into hiding. They came back and they started talking to each other. And they said, you know what, I, I, uh, you know, we really did evil to Joseph. And now Jacob's dead. He's going to more than likely want to get revenge. And we're going to hide until we can find out what his intentions are. And so I believe they went into hiding. And so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, let me ask you a question. If Jacob had said that or wanted to say that, if he wanted to tell Joseph to show them mercy and not take revenge for the evil that they had done to Joseph, don't you think he would have told them told Joseph that face to face before he died? Uh, certainly he would have. So these brothers are scheming. Who's that remind you of? Like father, like son. I mean, Jacob was a deceiver and a schemer. And so these brothers are trying to scheme and deceive their way and protect themselves uh, in an issue where they don't really need protection. And, and the reason they have that Attitude, or the reason they think that Joseph is going to do evil to them is because if they were in Joseph's shoes, they would do evil to them. And, and, and they just can't imagine somebody having that kind of love in their heart, that kind of mercy and forgiveness in their heart. And so, so they think he's going to kill them. It's kind of like, I don't know if you remember the movie Godfather. Uh, at the end of the movie, the Godfather makes peace with all of his enemies. Uh, and then he turns the, the uh, whole uh, business over to Michael Corleone or whatever his name is, his son. And, and uh, everything's at peace for a while. But as soon as the godfather dies, what does Michael Corleone do? He goes out and takes care. He gets revenge for everyone who had ever threatened that family or had harmed that family. And that's what they're thinking. They're thinking of Joseph as some sort of godfather here, some heartless, cruel leader 
who now is going to take his vengeance. The only reason he hasn't taken his vengeance up until now is that he didn't want to hurt his father. He was following his father's wishes. And I, more than likely, Joseph had said, look, you've got to forgive your brothers. I mean, Jacob had said to Joseph, you've got to forgive your brothers. So, so uh, he probably did say something like that. But he didn't say anything like that to them. And so, so, so really they're lying. And listen to what they say. They, say, they said, uh, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of your servant. Now, listen to how they, how they describe themselves. They say, now, please, when they're telling the messenger what to say, tell him to say, now, please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God, your father. Now, that kind of reminds me of when they ran into Joseph the first time they came down to Egypt. And they didn't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. And remember what they kept saying about themselves? We're honest men. We're honest men. And I believe Joseph had to laugh at that because they were anything but honest men. And I think maybe he had to laugh when he heard this because they were anything but servants to, to the God of Jacob. Uh, they were rebellious against the God of Jacob. They did whatever they pleased. Thank goodness for the mercy of the God. If I was one of them, that's what I would be saying. Thank goodness for the mercy of the God of Jacob. But they certainly weren't servants of the God of Jacob. So, so in verse number 18, no, we've got to get to the main part of verse number 17. I almost missed it. Listen to what happens. Listen, listen to Joseph's response here. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He wept. His heart was broken. He knew that they were scheming here. He knew that, that, uh, that they weren't honest men, that they weren't servants of God. But he had done everything to help them. He had done everything to show them that he had forgiven them. But they obviously didn't accept his forgiveness. They didn't believe him. They didn't trust him. That's their problem. And, and if you don't trust somebody, you don't love somebody. And more than anything else in the world, Joseph wanted his brothers to love him. He wanted them to love him. And all this showed was that they didn't love him. They didn't trust him. And you can't love somebody that you don't trust. And you can't trust somebody that you don't love. And that's the situation that he's in here, and it causes him to weep. I mean, he weeps. He weeps. And, and uh, so the messengers go back to the brothers where they're at in hiding. And they, said, and they say, what, what did he do? What happened? Well, you're not going to believe it. I mean, he wasn't angry at you guys. He wasn't threatening you guys. You know what he did? He just cried. He just wept. And I think they were touched by that. They were overwhelmed by his mercy. They were overwhelmed by his grace. Instead of seeking revenge by weeping, Joseph was demonstrating the fact that he loved them and that he was going to show mercy to them. 
And so the brothers came out of hiding in verse number 18, and then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, hey, what else could they do? What else can you do when you're confronted with that kind of mercy and forgiveness and love? What else can you do? Let me tell you what, it's just, what else can we do when we've been given that kind of mercy and that kind of love and that kind of unconditional forgiveness from the Lord? What else can we do? Exactly what they did. Listen to what he said. They, they, listen to what they said. They said, behold, we are your servants. That's all we can do. That's all I can do. When I understand the great mercy that the Lord has shown me, I mean, I can't pay that back. All I can do is say, Lord, here I am to serve you. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what they did in the presence of, of Joseph. They came back to him, and uh, again, they have another one of these reunions. Uh, it's getting kind of old now. And look what they do. This is like the sixth time this has happened now. They fulfill Joseph's dream because it says, then the brothers also went and they fell down before his face. They bowed down to him for the sixth time. And, and so that dream was definitely fulfilled that Joseph had had earlier in his life that his brothers one day would bow down to him. He says, and they said, behold now, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, listen to what he says. He says, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Am I God to judge you? I have no right to judge you. Vengeance belongs to to the Lord. The God, God is your judge. I'm not your judge. And, 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 and that would be that encouraging if he didn't say what he said next. Listen to what he says next. He says, but as for you, now he doesn't whitewash over what they did. Listen to what he says. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. You meant to do me harm. I have every right to take vengeance on you, but vengeance belongs to the Lord. And, and he doesn't say maybe the Lord's going to take it. He says, you're, you're going you're to get off on this. And this is how you're going to get off on this. But as for, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He meant it for good in order, what you did, you were nothing more than puppets in the hand of the Lord, doing the Lord's sovereign will. And what you meant for evil, God meant for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, and what has happened up until this day, many people have been saved because you sent me, or you sold me into slavery, which sent me down to Egypt so I could take charge of this uh, empire during the famine. And not only could I save the Egyptians, I could save you. And so, so God took what was evil and he turned it into good. Now, Joseph wasn't thinking prophetically here, or he wasn't speaking prophetically here, because if he had said, if he was speaking prophetically here, he would have said something else. He would have said, he would have said here, he said, uh, in order to, to bring it about as it is this day, he would have gone past that. He would have said to bring it about to deliver salvation to every generation, uh, to, to, to keep many people alive. Because it was this nation that Joseph saved by being there in Egypt 
that would bring forth a Messiah that would save the world from its sins, save every generation from their sins and bring life to them. And so, so something much greater had gone on here than just saving this little nation, these 12 tribes, and saving the Egyptian people. God was saving the people of the world, any of those people in the world that will come to him through Jesus Christ. And so, so this was a very important event. It was a very important event where you don't realize all the good you did. I mean, by sending me off to Egypt. You, you not only... We're in the process of saving the Egyptians and saving the 12 tribes of Israel. You, you were part of the process of saving the entire world. And so, so, so hey, you're, you, God's not going to kill you. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you, and I'm going to provide for your little ones. Look, all of this is grace, isn't it? It's a great picture of grace. Did these... Brothers of Joseph deserve what Joseph is giving them? Did they deserve mercy from Joseph? No. Did they deserve mercy from God? No. Every bit of this was grace. Just like our salvation is grace. They, they couldn't have, there was nothing they could do to repay what they had done to Joseph. There was nothing they could do to repay all the sins that they had committed all their life against Shechem and all the other places where they wreaked, wreaked havoc. So, so all of this is grace. And, 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 and grace is love. And love casts out fear. And, and, and to love someone, you have to trust someone. So Joseph's pleading with them here. He's saying, trust me. Trust me and don't be afraid because I love you and God loves you. That's the lesson I want you to learn here. He says, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them uh, and spoke very kindly to them. And they are totally forgiven. There, I hold, Joseph says, I hold nothing against you. God holds nothing against you. You have received grace, amazing grace. So Joseph dwelt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Now, I'm thinking that's a long time, but in Joseph's day, that wasn't such a long time. Jacob died at 147. Isaac died at 185. Abraham died at 175, so he only lived to be 110 years old. But that still was a long life, because look at what it says in the next verse. Jacob saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh. Manasseh was Jacob's, uh, Manasseh, Maker, uh, the children of Maker, Maker was his grandson, and so these were his great grandchildren that he's speaking of here in verse number 23. And they were brought up, I love this, they were brought up on Joseph's knees. What's that mean? They were brought up in his lap. They were brought up very close to Joseph. I, I, Manasseh was brought up very close to Joseph. Uh, his grandson, Macher, was brought up very close to Joseph. And his grandchildren were brought up very close to Joseph. And I'll tell you what that did for those children. If they were sitting in Joseph's lap, I'm telling you what he was singing to them. He was singing to them songs about the Lord. 
I'll tell you what he was telling them. He was telling them things about the Lord. Because he brought them up in the Lord in a way he had never been brought up in the Lord. He had been brought up in, a, in, a, in, a, in slavery, in a prison. And, and he knew what it meant to know about the Lord. He had enough knowledge of the Lord to, to, to get him through all those times. And he wanted them to get through their tough times. And he wanted them to pass it on to their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. And so he brought them up in his lap on his knees. Parents, grandparents, that's our obligation to bring our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. If we get that opportunity, we need to bring them up in the Lord. We need to teach them about what the Lord has done for us. We need to tell them about what the Lord has done for us. And we need to tell them about what the Lord can do for them through Jesus Christ. And so Joseph dies. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall, when that time comes, I think Joseph understood that prophecy given over in Genesis 15 to Abraham, where it was going to be over 400 years before they came back to the land. But he says, one day you or your descendants are going to go back into the land of Canaan. And here's what I want you to do. You shall carry up my bones from there, from here, rather, to to there. And so Joseph says, I want my bones taken out of Egypt, and I want to be them buried in the promised land, because he believed in the promises of God. Now, when we get over to Exodus, I think it's chapter 13 of Exodus, they actually will take this will be like over 400 years later, 430 years, 450 years later. They will take Joseph's bones and they will carry them with them in the Exodus uh, all the way to the promised land. And he will be buried at, uh, in, uh, uh, in the tomb of Joseph in Israel later on. And then we finish up the very last verse that we're going to go to, verse number 26. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I want you to read that last few words there again. How does this great book of Genesis end? It ends in a coffin in Egypt. That's pretty sad. That's pretty, a pretty sad ending for this great man of God, this heir to the promises of God, to be buried in a coffin in Egypt. And I got to tell you, if, if that was it, if that was the end of the Bible, I mean, I, I feel sorry for the people who only have the Pentateuch, and they look at the Pentateuch, because the Pentateuch ends kind of sadly too. But if, if that's it, and that's where it ended, It would be a really, really sad book, especially the way it started. Remember how Genesis started in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and the angels in heaven were singing because it was so wonderful and so beautiful. And it, 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 it began on such a grand scale. And then Adam was created as a son of God in the image of God to live forever with God, to have fellowship with God. And then sin entered the world, and with sin, death. And how sad that was. And so, so Genesis ends up with a Joseph lying in a coffin in Egypt.
But that epilogue there is only an introduction to the good news of the rest of the Bible. What's the rest of the Bible about? The rest of the Bible is about the salvation plan of God implemented through the nation of Israel uh, culminated on the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then the spreading of the gospel. And when we come to the book of uh, Revelation, we come to the very uh, end of the book of Revelation. Go there with me for a minute. Look at what it says. Let's look at how the Bible ends. The last verse of the Bible. What's the last verse of the Bible say? It says, the grace, uh, yeah, that'll be easy to find, guys. <laughs> you just go to your last page and get past the index. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, anyway, Revelation 22:11. Let's, I mean, I'm sorry, 22:21. Let's read it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What's it all about? It's about grace. That this whole Bible, from Genesis all the way to the end, to the epilogue, is all about grace. May we all receive the grace that God gives us as a gift of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. A salvation where all our sins are forgiven. A salvation where we're made as righteous as Jesus Christ. Nathan quoted it a while ago in his prayer, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness. I mean, think about this. The righteousness of God in Christ. That's the gift we receive. Now, that, if you don't think you're a sinner, that doesn't mean anything to you. That's why it's so hard for people who are self-righteous to ever get saved. And I hear a lot of self-righteous people in the United States of America today, and they're, they're, they're putting themselves in a very hopeless situation because you've got to recognize that you're a depraved sinner. I had no problem with that when my time came to get saved. I don't know about you. But we're depraved sinners. And what does God give us? He takes away our sin and gives us his righteousness. Where does our sin go? It goes on to Jesus on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God in him. The Lord himself describes the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ this way over in the book of Hebrews. That's what he says. He says, I will, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. In other words, they're unrighteous. They have no business in heaven. But I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds. I love this. I will remember no more. As he's cast them as far away as the east is from the west. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me. In fact, sometimes I think it sounds too good. So sometimes I have a hard time believing it. I'm kind of like Joseph's brothers at times. I, I have a thought or I fall into some type of sin, and I say to myself, there's no way, Lord, you can forgive that. Now, I don't, if I think at all, I think back to the things I was doing before I was saved, 
and, and uh, he, he forgave me for all of that. So, so uh, you know, he's certainly going to forgive me for the, for the sins that I commit now. He forgives me for, of, of all my sins. I mean, but, but it's just too, it seems too good. I mean, how could someone be that loving and that kind and that merciful and that forgiving? You know, Joseph's brothers received the forgiveness from Joseph, but they didn't really believe they were forgiven. And what did that cause Joseph to do? It caused him to weep. When I don't trust Remember no more. And when I don't tro- totally trust him for that, when, bad, when I do something bad, or when bad things happen to me, when bad things happen to me, sometimes I doubt the Lord. I doubt his goodness. I doubt his forgiveness. What does that do to the Lord? It does to the Lord the same thing it did to Joseph when his brothers doubted him. It grieved the Lord. It grieves the Lord. And let me tell you why it grieves the Lord. Because you can't love someone if you don't trust someone. So when you say you don't trust the Lord, you're really saying to the Lord, I really don't love you. Let me tell you what, love and trust go together. They go together. They are the bookends, as I would call them, of the Christian experience. You've got, you can't have one without the other. You, they are what hold everything else up. Just think about it. Your obedience. Your obedience to the Lord. Solomon puts it like this over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He says, fear the Lord and be obedient to him. Live in obedience. And what does he mean by fear the Lord? To fear the Lord, you have to trust the Lord. You have to believe that the Lord is who he is. That he is holy and he's righteous. And so, so obedience comes through our fear, through our belief in the Lord. But Jesus, on the other end of the spectrum, said this. He said in John 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So there's belief. Our belief and our love hold up our obedience. That's true for every part of our Christian life. Our prayer, our prayer life, just think about it. Oh, I love the Lord, so I'm going to go pray to the Lord. You're not going to go pray to the Lord if you don't believe the Lord, if you don't trust that the Lord hears your prayers. That's why the author of Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. For he who comes to God must believe, trust him that he is. You've got to love him, but you've got to trust that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know where my, when my prayer life suffers? My prayer life suffers when maybe I'm loving the Lord, but I'm not believing the Lord. And I don't really believe all the things he said, like I'm going to answer your prayers according to my riches in heaven. I, I don't really believe that. And so I don't, if we believe that the Lord would do the things that we know he would, the Bible says he will do for us, if we really believe that, our prayer life would be different. We'd be praying a lot more. And trust and love go together. 
They go together in our giving. I mean, I mean, you you can't you you, you can't. You give because you love the Lord, but you also got to believe that the Lord is going to provide for you when you give. And, and they go together. It, it, everything in the Christian life is like that. Baptism, prayer, giving, service, obedience, all of those things are held up by your trust and by your love. And if you don't trust the Lord, you don't really love him. And if you don't love the Lord, you won't trust him. That comes by grace. That comes by grace through our choice to love the Lord and to trust the Lord. When when we doubt the Lord, the next time we think, man, I've gone too far. The Lord doesn't love me anymore. I've lost my salvation. I've gone too far. I, I mean, I've got too many things happening to me for the Lord to love me. Whenever we reach that point, this is what you've got to do. Here's where you come in. You've got to draw a line in the sand, and you've got to say, I believe you, Lord. And when you say, I believe you, and I trust you, Lord, to get me through this, I trust you that this is going to work out for my good. I trust you, Lord. When you say that, let me tell you what you're doing. You're saying to the Lord, I love you. I love you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so blessed to have the opportunity to know you, to have your word. Lord, to have your truth. But Lord, we have to believe that truth. Lord, I ask you to give us the grace to be, have more faith, Lord, to have more trust, Lord, and more love. Or they go together, Lord, we know that. And we just thank you for the fact, Lord, that before we ever thought about loving you or trusting you, you loved us. Lord, and you died for us. And we believe that. And because we believe that, Lord, we love you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for your blood and for your sacrifice. It's in your precious name that I pray. Amen. What could wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the 
Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper is part of our Christian experience for sure. And it's like a book standing between two bookends, the bookend of trust and the bookend of love. We trust him. We believe that he died for us on a cross so that all our sins could be forgiven all our sins, past, our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. And we love him because being God, we know that he emptied himself. Him being God, we know that he emptied himself of all his glory. And he came to this earth so that he could shed his blood for us, so that his body could be broken for us. So I trust him and I love him. You trust him and you love him. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. Paul put it like this. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I, that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had broken it, uh, he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the, the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Y'all want to stand? We'll close in the song. It's love endures forever. It's love endures forever. It's love endures forever. It's love endures forever. Have a good week.